Welcome back to the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. I'm Kayla Bowker, and I am here with a really cool guest, Maria Vasquez. Maria is a part of the Team Trace Pinas, uh, a group that I am a part of, and that's kind of how I got to know who she is and be a part of, kind of see, start to follow her and see kind of her story and her journey. And she's gotten an incredible, incredible endurance journey where she is a very, very, she's a ultra cyclist to be exact. And I will tell you, following along with her, following along her journey on, on Instagram has just been amazing because she does these 24 hour rides that, um, and these, the huge ultra cycling events that like just blow my mind. Um, she's an advocate for women going through menopause and trying to kind of share her journey throughout that whole experience and how being an athlete and, um, mom and all these pieces have to do with a kind of everything that we're a part of. So really excited to welcome Maria to the show and yeah, we're just going to get started and dive into a little bit more about her. So welcome Maria. Welcome to the podcast. Before we jump into our recording here, I'm super excited to share with you guys that we are now offering a Patreon account for the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. Our mission here at Where Your Feet Take You is simple. We are here to unite the triathlon community and foster a shared passion for sport and the relentless pursuit of our dreams. By becoming a Patreon community member, you are not just an observer of our passion for the sport, but you're an integral part of the journey. With the Patreon account, we will be providing you guys with exclusive access to Where If You Take You podcasts, uh, behind-the-scenes videos, personal check-ins, and regular updates that help to provide a little bit more of an intimate look into the lives as athletes and creators and coaches and everything in between. Your support is more than just a contribution. It helps to fuel this podcast forward. With your help, we can grow the show, reach new heights, continue to explore our passion within the sport of triathlon, go to races, and just give back even more to the incredible triathlon community. We really appreciate you guys' constant support and listening, and then moving forward, hopefully, with your Patreon membership. You can head over to patreon.com slash where your feet take you podcast. You can head over to the website or just click the show notes to find out a little bit more about what we'll be doing with the Patreon account. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about sharing part of my story. <laughs> Yeah. So before we kind of, we'll just kind of dive through as we go, but um, more importantly, I always like to start off the podcast with asking, who is Maria? <laughs> Maria Everybody's is Everybody's favorite a, question, right? Who am I? I know. <laughs> and then you, you make people think, I know, I heard the podcast a few times. So um, I honestly consider myself as a common woman, mother of three boys, <laughs> that decided to venture into cycling and, you know, cycling has helped me a lot. So simple. Well, I can assure you I'm a mom of two boys and that doesn't make you common at all. That makes you pretty much a rock star. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it can be complicated at times. (laughs) Oh man, yes. I don't know about your boys, but mine have so much energy that... I don't know where they get it from because they're so tiny and Mm -hmm. they live off of like fruit snacks and two pieces of toast a day. And I'm like, where where are you getting this? I want to go to sleep right now. Um. Yeah. And and the funniest thing is that some people think that, oh, yeah, sure. Once they grow up or grow older, you know, I'm not going to have to be involved as much in their lives. Well, 
my three boys are 25, 23, and 21. And guess what? They're still around. So I still have yeah. to <laughs> right. mind uh, it, m mind them. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I definitely feel, I mean, my parents would say the same thing. I'm, I'm they always say, well, I thought that once you left for college, you know, you kind of be like, oh, that was, but here you are 34 years old and you're still hanging around. Yep. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> yep. And uh, so, but I just attest that to the fact that it's a great, you know, that's kind of my dream is that my kids will want to be around me yeah. when I'm, when, you know, when they're 30 years old or whatever. Um, I am super excited about it, actually, because, um, and, and, and it's interesting because for me, it's normal. But then people have come to me and, and they're like, oh, my God, your kids like to go with you uh, to, you know, do groceries or um, like. To give you the perfect example, this coming Sunday, I'm going with the oldest, who's 25. Um, he invited me um, to a, he's going to be doing a little car race in a track. And he's like, hey, mom, I would love for you to be my my person. You know, I can bring one more person. And in my brain, I'm thinking, shouldn't you be bringing somebody else, not your mom? <laughs> so oh, it's kind of cool. That. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Oh, that makes me so happy. Because, I mean, that's how... I grew up like we did everything together as a family growing up like mm -hmm. my, it was just my parents and then and then my sister and I and we did everything growing up and that's just what we did like mm -hmm. we, went, we still to this day like my best memories are the, the trips I took with my parents and yep. that yep. hasn't changed as you know I so to me I that's common to me as well but I, I agree like even now like growing up I'll, I'll not growing up, I am grown up, I guess. Technically, I'm an adult. <laughs> um, but I would get people, they go, well, you, why would you want to go on a two-week vacation with your parents? And it's like, because it's fun. And yeah. Yeah. So it's common. And to me, that's just awesome. That's what a family unit should feel like. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely not common. I think you're <laughs> that's you're pretty amazing. Three boys still want to hang out with mom. I mean, if you're <laughs> succeeding in that space. Um, so with that, you know, um, how, how, how did you get into cycling? What got you into it? I was going through a rough patch in my life. Um, in a, I think it was 2008. And somehow I ended up going to spinning. I have no clue as of how I ended up going to a spinning class and the coach um one day she just invited me to go on trails funny because he's nobody a lot of people don't know that I actually started on the trails um and she's like I love the way you pedal you should join us you know there's a group of us who you know go on the trails um I didn't know that they were like fast you know hardcore mountain bikers and I said yes because that's me um, and I ended up, you know, being left behind the last one. Um, I remember falling so many times and still wanting to go. Um, I even broke a tooth one time, like my lip, a oh tooth. And yeah, and I still wanted to go back. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, after a little bit of, you know, falling that many times, I said, well, maybe there's another type of cycling that I will enjoy better and <laughs> fall less. And somehow, I can't remember. I came across, I think I came across at a store um, with a friend of mine. Um, our kids went to the same school and he hosted a few cycling events in Puerto Rico. And he's like, oh my gosh, are you, you know, cycling? And I'm like, yes, I, I am. But I'm trying to get a bicycle because the ones that I have been using are, you know, loners. 
Um, and three months after I met him at that store, uh, he had a all women event, hundred miles, I remember. And he invited me and I said, well, I mean, I need a bike. He, he let me use one of his bikes and I finished. And I will never forget hundred miles back then was a lot for me, like yeah. a lot. It is still a lot, I know, but based on what I do at the current moment, that that was so. I remember literally crossing the 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 line, the finish line, last, like dead last with another girl, um, and that being like my biggest accomplishment ever. I was so excited about finishing that, you know, um, oh. and and that's basically how I, you know, it all started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I bet. Do you still remember, you do you still remember? Cause I know like some, a lot of my biggest accomplishments, like my first full Ironman, I really, my first triathlon, I really kind of remember how I mm -hmm. felt throughout the whole day. Do you remember kind of how you felt throughout that and, I, I and how it changed you? I do actually. Um, I remember being dead. Like I, I know that everything in my body hurt. Um, I remember feeling dead but at the same time like super accomplished um my kids yeah. were obviously younger um and i i remember uh going to after the ride i i know that i went and had either lunch dinner something um and i couldn't get off my brain that i just completed 100 miles you know after just basically three months of like training um yeah. and it's it, it was I, I remember the girl. I remember the 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 shirt we were using. I remember her smile. I even think I have a picture. I mean, it's super old, but I think I even got a picture with her. And and you can see it on our smiles on that picture. How yeah, you know, it was like such a big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's very. It is kind of life changing. Like mm -hmm. it seems crazy to think that a hundred mile bike race or anything along those lines can be so like you know, people always think about life changing things as things like, um, having children or whatever, but there is something really amazing that, and that can be so life changing about something mm -hmm. event like that. Um, so you did your first hundred mile bike race and then mm -hmm. where did you go from there? So the same guy that hosted the event, um, had, he was the, um, owner, I should say, of, um, I don't know if you have ever heard PBP. So Paris, Brest, Paris. Mm -hmm. It's an event oh, okay. um, that it's held in Paris every four years. Um, and we're talking thousands of people. We're not talking, you know, we're talking six, seven, eight thousand people that go do it. Um, but to do it, you have to qualify. So it's 1,200 kilometers, self-supported. Um, basically nonstop. Um, and he, he had the qualifiers in Puerto Rico. Um, and obviously back then there were not that many women doing ultra. So he said, I think, you know, based off on what I've seen and in three months, you were able to complete hundred miles. Um, you should look into doing these kind of races. Um, so I remember me being challenged by that, you know, like, again, you know, the, the, I'm a yeah. commoner mama, three kids, and yep. here I am doing these things. And, um, you had to do, so you use like a year to qualify for that. So you use a year and you have to do a 200 K 
300, 400, 600K. And they give you like an allotted time. And this is self-supported. And if you finish all four, then you qualify to do PVP. And so far in Puerto Rico, only two or three guys had completed PVP, no woman. Um, there were two women that were trying, and I think they actually qualified, but I don't think that any of them uh, went to uh, France and, and completed it. So I said, sure, I would love to be the first one. <laughs> you know, who doesn't oh want to be God. like first from her country? <laughs> um, yes. And I went and I did PVP. And I remember so many moments through PVP that it's just crazy. Like, I think it had an impact in my life. Um, I spend 89 hours pedaling, 45 minutes only sleeping or napping, whatever you want to call it. And again, that was another pivotal moment in my life and totally life-changing. Like after you finish something like that, you just, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. We are capable of so many things. Wow. So, okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to unpack this a little bit because that's amazing. Okay. What was the prep for that like? Like how did you train for it or or what did you just use kind of the qualification process as your training? Yeah. What did that yes. look like? So I did... I did one year of practice. So I did one year where I did all the PV, all the qualifiers. Um, but that year, so I think it was 20, I finished it in 2011. So I used 2010 to do all the qualifiers, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I finished all of them. Um, when you finish them, you're thinking, you're excited because you're like, oh, well, yeah, I can finish the qualifiers. But then you, you got to remember that the longest you do is 600K. And he jumped from 600K to 1200K. So we're talking double oh. the distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's no way you can practice for that. I mean, you do your long hours. I think that the longest that I have done on a day training-wise, it's it's been 12 hours. And okay. you just cross your fingers that your body will keep, you know, <laughs> doing the same over and over and over. Yeah. Um, for these events, I don't think there's a, a proper training um, that will allow you to, oh, sure, let me go out there and do 500 miles and see how it goes. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's a lot of learn by doing. Um, so I used that year to do all the qualifiers, make sure that I, you know, I was capable. I finished all of them. And then the next year you do them, but to actually and officially qualify for the event. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I did the qualifiers and for each one of them, I remember not having a coach. Like it was mainly, you know, just riding out there, you know, like yeah. nowadays yeah. we use so many things. Like we use heart rate monitor, we use computers, we use watts, we use, and back then it was just, okay, let me just ride. Ride my bike. Yeah. yeah. And um, I qualified, I went and the experience was amazing. Um, it's, it was just, there were moments I remember thinking, what am I doing? Like I'm in a country far, far away from where I live. Yeah. Another language. On my own, because he was self-supported. Um, okay, and you didn't have you no act, crew. No crew. So you can have, so we had, it was like seven of us. And, and we had one person who actually, because uh, you can bring people, but they cannot okay. assist you. So they can be at a spot where there's a lot of check-ins through the entire route. They there's like, a, Leapfrog the check-ins, basically. Correct, correct. And, you know, you can actually change your clothing or, or do whatever. Um, and let me remind you that back then everything was operated with batteries. So 
Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. So charge that. I remember <laughs> carrying in one of my bags, like two big packs of like double A and triple A batteries um, on top oh. of everything else that I was yeah. carrying. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so you, you can stop as many times as you want. You can, and self-supported means you are also paying for whatever you eat and, and find along the way. Oh, so, okay. yes. So you have to bring money. Um, and along the way, yes, on the check-ins, you have food and, and you can sleep. They have like these rooms where you can actually sleep and pay somebody to wake you up. Um, but everything's oh. paid for. So like, you have to pay for it. Um, yeah. And I remember. I remember the sunrise of the last day, um, 89 hours. That's what, three, four sunrises. Yeah. I don't know. I remember starting the the race and finishing. Like you don't I don't think you you actually notice the days. Like I don't think you understand that you're going through from one day to the other to the yeah. other to the other. I remember the last sunrise. Um I remember that there was a club. So if you finish, they give you 90 hours to finish the race and if you finish between hour 89 and 90, you get into this club. Um, and I remember I met someone there and he rode basically with me through the entire course. And I remember he said, oh, we have to stop. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, we have to stop. Let the clock go by. So we finish within the last hour and then earn this batch or whatever it was. I'm like, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't mind. Um, but I remember it being scary at points like if you actually stopped and thought about what you were doing right um, I I got scared I did not allow my brain to go there because um there was a point where I remember being on this long road uh cornfields on both of my sides like super tall and I look forward and I'm like there's no cars there's no cyclists I look behind me there's nothing nothing and here I am thinking, what do I do? Like, if something happens, like, this is just insane. So I did not allow my brain to, you know, go out and think about the possibilities of, you know, stuff going wrong, because otherwise I would have just stopped out of being yeah. scared. Yeah, so that's amazing. Yeah, it's I like kind of like how you said, like, two pieces in there, like, you remember, you remember the beginning, you remember the end, but the mm -hmm. middle is so it all kind of becomes one big Correct. piece. But then also not allowing your almost not allowing yourself sounds like not allowing yourself to think too much because if you started yeah. thinking, you started going, what am I doing? Where am I? Yeah, all the things that could happen. Um, and is that I mean, that sounds like that's kind of how you kept yourself from getting into a negative space was just mm -hmm. removing that thought process and like, very out of body experience, potentially. Yeah. And um I I remember at least two moments where I freaked out and I thought, no, like, this is insane. I'm a mother of three kids. What am I doing? I'm stopping. I'm calling someone to pick me up or something. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of like got into the, you know, Zen zone, as I call it. Yeah. Um, I remember I fell asleep as I was riding my bike. Oh, my goodness. And that was for sure an uh, out-of-body experience because um, in my brain, the person that was riding with me grabbed me by the shoulders and slammed me supposedly against the wall and said, Maria, Maria, you got to wake up. And I realized when 
when that happened, I actually woke up and I realized, oh my gosh, like I was actually sleeping as I was pedaling and I couldn't put two and two together. I was, I didn't know where I was. The people that were around me were no, no longer around me. I didn't know if I had missed a turn. It was one of the scariest moments on that specific race. And of course, after that, I was fully awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started pedaling like super fast, past two people that I had passed already. So I'm assuming that I slowed down dramatically as I was sleeping on my bike. And I asked them about the person that was riding with me. And they're like, oh, no, he's way ahead. So I got to him and I said, I shared my experience. And he's like, oh, my gosh, you just rode asleep. I'm like, whoa. And I did not fall. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable yeah so that yeah, i think well, that happened i don't know 70 80 something hours so after that obviously i was wide awake i'm like nope i'm not going to sleep anymore yeah and so basically during this entire time you did you have like dedicated dedicated time to be like okay when i hit 12 hours i'm gonna take a rest or did you just kind of do it based nope. off of how you were feeling yeah. um that was yeah. I look back and I would love to do that race again because I was such such a rookie. I didn't know what I was doing. I There was no such thing as, sure, I'm going to pedal three hours and then sleep. Nothing. And by the time I hit one of the places where you could actually take a nap, my body was so used to the riding position that I kept jumping on the little bed that I had because the body will adopt the, you know, riding position and I couldn't fall asleep. And I said, you know what? I don't think this is a good idea for me. And ever since that time, it's been like that. I don't ever take a one hour, two hour, three hour nap on my races because mm -hmm. my body kind of like doesn't, I don't know if I should say appreciate it, but I don't, I don't like it. So I, I take mini naps, okay. you know, it can be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. 45 minutes maybe at the most. And I, I freak out at, at 45 minutes because I feel it's too long. Then when I wake up, I'm too stiff, too cold. So I think that from that moment, I realized, well, I don't think that sleeping X amount of hours in between, it's a thing that works for me. Yeah. Wow. That is wild. Um, so when you, once you kind of processed everything that happened in that race, how did you feel when you got done with it? Kind of, and after that process time frame, um, you said it was kind of a big life changing type of moment. Um, where where did you go from there? Um, it was cycling all the way through. After that, mm -hmm. um, I it was a big thing, you know, in Puerto Rico. I was I became the first female to finish it. Um, obviously, then now then my life changing to doing everything cycling wise helping others um i became a coach i was a spinning instructor for the longest time um after that i believe a year after that um and this also like not a lot of people know uh and from that moment like those two events in my life just you know yeah. now i'm a cyclist and i cannot deny it so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. a year after i think it was a year after the guy that actually rode with me, that I met there, that rode with me the entire time, or most of the time, he knew someone, um, and this someone called him and said, hey, we're creating a project of women to go do Tour de France, to try to advocate for females, you know, and, and them bringing the Tour de France back to 
uh, females doing, etc. So he reached out to me and said, hey, they're looking for an endurance athlete, female, uh, low maintenance, and I think you fit the profile. Would you like to talk to this guy? Because they're going to France and they're going to do, you know, the 21 stages. And in my brain, I'm thinking, sure, again, I'm, I'm that person who will say yes. And then mm-hmm. I realize what I, you know. And then think about it. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. And, and in a way, I thought he, he was joking. Like, I'm like, this has to be some sort of joke. Um, about 30 minutes after I hung up with him, this person that was in charge of the project calls me and says, hey, you know, we're doing six women. We're going to train through a whole year. Then we're going to go or half a year. I can't remember how long it was. And then we're going to go and do all 21 stages of Tour de France and, you know, show the world that women, that, that's where I love to the commoner, like normal women with, you know, jobs and families can mm-hmm. actually put up a training as intense as, you know, the training for, for 21 days of cycling and do it. And again, I said, yes, thinking this, this has to be some sort of joke or something. Um, and it wasn't. I mean, we were... Treated us pros. We were um, sponsored by a whole bunch of major brands. So it was a pro-like experience. Yeah. We had the opportunity to go to France um, and do all 21 stages, which again changed my life because as of that day, I would have pedaled for 89 hours and I thought that was a lot. So now I have to tell my body, you have to pedal day after day after day after day after day. After day. Yeah. And I remember thinking on day four or five, I'm going to die. Like, there's no way I can keep doing this. And then your body adapts. And that's when my life changed. And I'm like, okay, I can do all sorts of crazy things on the bike because your body will just adapt. And, you know, that's when I trust, that's when I started trusting the body. You asked me earlier, how do you train for that? Well, your your body will keep doing Mm -hmm. what the body knows how to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, we did all 21 stages, another life changing experience. And from there, I couldn't get out of cycling. Like, <laughs> wow, what a cool experience. And I love, I love that because you're right. Like, women, one, women in general are amazing. Like, we have the capacity to do the same things the men do. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think any, and in reality, I don't think any woman is necessarily saying, hey, we're going to be just as fast as men. It's not what we're saying. We know that physiologically we're different species, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can't do the same things. Like yeah. we can't, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that's a, such a cool experience to build again. And then I like how you guys took it the next step further. It's like, you know, whether you want to call it the common woman or just the everyday woman, however you mm-hmm. want to describe that, can also do the crazy stuff that the professional people can do. And, you know, it's all about trusting yourself and kind of doing it. What was your favorite part of that tour, doing that tour? Because that's just, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with cycling. Um, Like, I would love to get into road cycling. Um, I became obsessed with it. Like, I listen to cycling podcasts. I I I watch all the cycling races. and watching the Tour de Femme XS Swift or however they say it was just so inspiring. Like those women mm-hmm. were just so amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my tangent. But what was your favorite part about it? I, 
I was mesmerized by the beauty, first of all. Like, mm-hmm. you ride through these amazing places, and I feel like we were, we didn't, or at least me, I didn't take advantage of soaking in all of that. Because at that time, we had, like, a mission, and it was all about, like, you know, wake up, have breakfast, ride, eat, sleep, and repeat. Um, I would love to do some sort of something and go back and 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 do it all um, and soak it in and use it for something different. I don't know for I don't know this time maybe proving that we even at our age can still do stuff or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. I think it was the the beauty of it all, and also I remember thinking we don't know it's climbing back you know in the states of puerto rico like we don't know what what climbing is when you get (laughs) they tell you oh Mm -hmm. tomorrow is your flat you know um day and you end up doing 40 miles and like i don't know uh four four thousand um uh feet of elevation gain you're like wait a minute like this is a flat day (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) we did so much climbing so yeah. it was not only about pedaling day after day after day. It was all this climbing that you're not actually used to, but yet it was like like normal. Like it was, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it became yeah. like a normal thing. Like I would go out there and I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like we're climbing, you know, like cool. Um, but all the climbing and the beauty, you know, out there was just mesmerizing. That's one of the, also the, one of the reasons I like watching the Tour de France. And I, I listen to uh, different podcasts and they're talking about kind of the same thing where I think that's also what brings uh, events like watching the Tour de France more mainstream, right? Because mm-hmm. they do such a great job of showing like, because bike racing is kind of boring, really, to watch. But when you when you do the panoramics of all the yep. amazing places and show the the monuments and and the, and the structures and the the waterfalls and that you're climbing past um, is is very cool. And yeah. one of the reasons cycling is so amazing because right, you get to explore. You get to explore these mm-hmm. amazing places on two wheels. Um, yeah, and it was, we went through, I think it was, we went through, I remember Spain, Switzerland, obviously France, there were two others, I can't remember, um, but everybody's so into it, like, yeah. the in every town we went through, every little corner, it was all about the race, like, oh, the, it was it. like the world stopped just to, you know, do those 21 days, and then, okay, let's just continue. Um, so I think that, and you know, the beauty, and it's still like mm-hmm. great in my brain. Like I still think about it, and I and I just get the biggest smile on my face because it was just fantastic. Yeah. What was the hardest part? The hardest day? Do you remember? Was oh, like what they call there's line? always like there's always a day that they call the queen stage. Yep. Um, and I remember I'm not a fast person. Um, I'm, I, I can go forever. I, I, you know, give me the miles, I'll do them. I'm not necessarily the, the fastest. And 
so far I was conservative. I was being very conservative because I wanted to get to that stage. And I remember it was a hard stage. I can't remember where it was. I, I, I probably, if I look into the books and all the stuff that we have, um, I, I will probably, you know, be able to point out where it was, but I remember it was insane. The amount of feet that we climbed that day. Um, yeah. And I think it was day 16, if I'm not mistaken, because it was uh, queen stage. Um, I think it was day 16. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, but it was more than a hundred feet per mile. Like it was just crazy. <laughs> Um, and we were doing about, yeah, and we were doing about 100 miles per day. So, yeah, yeah that was that was a brutal day. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, that, uh, I just, watching, I mean, I, like I said, I watched last year, um, like, every ounce of the, the tour and watching the Queen stage. And just, the you don't have, in the States, you don't have, like, they're not, hills or whatever you want to call them like that, they're not even legal in the United no, States. Yeah. Nope, <laughs> you yeah. can't have, totally. it is not legally allowed to have grades that above, I think like 11% or something like that, unless you, you know, no. right. and but. you see there, you can, you know, you see 20 something and it's just, you know, you will go up a mountain and then you'll stop and you look up at the top and you see this little car, super, super tiny. And you're like, there's no way we're going to go up there. And you keep going, going, going. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a small car. Like we actually made it to the top. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, I do remember that they, I mean, I had an accident, by the way, um, during the tour. Um, oh, no. I think it was Friday, Friday 13th, stage 13, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, my goodness. I was, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was, yeah, and I'm Puerto Rican, so I believe in all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Superstitious. So we, we were on a roundabout, and this lady hits me, and I remember flying in the air and landing on my um, tailbone. And it was really scary. I've never been hit by a car up until then. Um, when I landed on the ground, I literally could not move for a few minutes, and I thought, well, my tailbone hit first. I really thought I was not going to be able to walk. Oh no, finish it, walk. And yeah. No, I didn't even care about finishing. And then they, they took me to the hospital. Um, it was a brutal experience because you don't speak the language. They're trying to find all the documents to kind of like be able to, you know, work with you. That might take hours. Um, and I remember after you know, all the pain mess and them saying, you just have a tiny um, hairline fracture on the tailbone. We don't recommend mm -hmm. you to ride. And I asked them, are you, will I get permanent damage if I get on the bike again? And they're like looking at me like, is she crazy? Why would she want to continue this, you know, with, with that? And that was another pivotal moment in my, in my life as well. Cause I decided I wanted to go back and I said, just give me the, the meds that I can do and ride that will not make me loopy. And, um, I remember the next day when I got on the bike, it was brutal. I cried the entire day because it was painful. And the only thing I can remember was, you know, being a mom was what carried me through the next days. I said, my kids are going to be at the finish line. You know, this yeah. is an important moment. Um, and that was another pivotal moment in my life because once I survived that pain and went through all the things that I went through that day, I said, well, there's nothing out there that can knock me down. <laughs> yeah. That I cannot bounce from. So, yeah, that was another pivotal moment. Um, 
and it was actually uh you know within that mm-hmm. opportunity that I had to do the 21 days um of the wow. tour wow you are so resilient it's unbelievable I just love it thank you I love how resilient you are oh my goodness <laughs> And you can see it. I mean, so, you know, we kind of saw a lot this year too, because like, cause I've been following you for a while and mm-hmm. I you know, followed along with your 24 hour races this year. And you had a couple that did not go the way that you wanted. Yeah. Um, and, but you kind of keep bouncing back. So um, yeah, let's talk about that just a little bit. Cause it's great for people to hear. Like, it's not always fun to talk about our mm-hmm. quote unquote failures, but I'm a firm believer that one, you never fail if you just, you know, don't stop trying. Mm-hmm. And two, we do have to fail, unfortunately, yeah. in order to learn and to grow and to, you know, really kind of absorb who we mm-hmm. are as people. Um, so, yeah, just kind of walk me through this year, the couple races that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know a couple of them didn't go the way that you planned and, you know, how you kind of bounce through those and continue on. Because I, I, I'm just hearing like you're just this. I just love how, like I said, you're so gritty and resilient and you keep coming back and trying and exploring and it's, it's wonderful and very refreshing. <laughs> the, thank you. This, this is going to sound like a cliche, but we only have one life for real. And, and I don't think that people understand that up until they're a certain age. Um, and even so, some people probably don't ever understand it. Um, I attempted race across the West because when you do these type of races, obviously there's a point where you want to do like a longer race and a longer race. Mm-hmm. So I've done a few, if not a lot, but 500 mile races. And then I'm like, well, what's after 500? Well, race across the West. So I attempted to race across that's the West. Brutal, that's a brutal one, yeah. by the way, for those of you yeah. that don't know. Describe race across the West really quick for those race of across that the don't West know. is um, you go from Oceanside, California, all the way to Durango, Colorado. So it's about thousand miles, a little bit under a thousand miles, obviously nonstop. And um, there's a lot of climbing as well on this uh, uh, race. So just to put it out there as a perspective, when you do mountain bike races and you do hundred miles, a hundred feet per mile of climbing, that's a lot. On the road, when you do 50, 60, 70, that's like insanely crazy. Um, and I think that for race across the West, it's between 60 and 70 per mile, which is insane. Um, so far, like I said, I was not, I'm not, I've never been a fast rider, but I was proud to say that I had finished every single race that I started or every single event that I started up until Race Across the West. And Race Across the West, they had to pull me off the race because I had something that's called Shermer's neck, which is all the muscles on your neck collapsed. And and oh, then no. you cannot lift your head. So the the aero position or whichever cycling position you do, yeah. there's there's no way because you cannot look forward. So at around mile seven hundred, they said you can't you can't. Like my crew chief decided I could no longer ride, which I know it it was a great decision. It was the right decision, um, and that was very devastating because as of that day, I had no DNFs in my entire career as a cyclist, Mm -hmm. zero. So it was really, really, really devastating. Um, And then the interesting part was that along that month or year, I should say, everything menopause-wise started happening. (laughs) Oh, lovely. (laughs) So 
So then for the next year, I spent about six months, I think, without writing because I was really torn apart with, well, I couldn't finish that. There's no way that getting older and going through all that I'm going through will allow me to be better or keep doing what I'm doing. I went through this phase of like, I don't want to write anymore. I want to sell all my bikes. I just want to, you know, do nothing. And um, then I decided to go back and I'm like, well, let's tackle this age. You know, let's tackle this moment in time, blah, blah, blah. And then I started failing at every race. Like I started getting DNF after DNF after DNF until, you know, all of a sudden people start commenting and saying, I don't think you should keep going. Uh, You know, I don't think you should keep doing what you are used to. Maybe you should think about doing shorter stuff or something different. And in my brain, I was like, I don't want to. Um, And at that point, I thought, well, I'm being stubborn and maybe I'm paying the consequences, but I think you, you just need a moment to understand what's happening, adapt, and move on with what now will work for you, which might not be the same as in the past. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I know, and, and everybody that knows about menopause nowadays knows that, you know, they're recommending a lot of heavy lifting. You shouldn't go for long rides. Um, you become insulin resistant. So, you know, your body starts like getting bigger uh, if you keep doing what I like doing. So I said, well, what do I want more? Do I want to focus on how I look and how I feel or like, my personal trainer says, or, or do you, are you still, you know, wanting to do what you still do well and be grateful because you still can do it, forgetting about appearances and all the other stuff. And right now I can tell you that I'm on that stage where I'm like, okay, let me try to be content with, you know, the appearance of my body or the things that I cannot control, you know, regarding hormones and aging and keep doing what I actually like doing and just do it. You know, yeah. Um, so I'm on a journey now of okay. Let, let's see <laughs> how it works yeah. if I forget one thing and then focus on the other, um, mm-hmm. because I refuse to just not do what I really like doing. And it's mm-hmm. not like I'm doing it on a professional level, or I don't want to get podiums or anything else. So I'm like, well, I might as well try to figure out what works now. Keep doing what I'm doing and and see what results I can get. Yeah. I love that because the one thing I definitely have really found, you know, even if we're talking menopause, we're talking women, research, you know, researching with women in, in, their, in their menstrual cycle, a lot of times it comes down to, well, this is what the science te- technically says, so you should do it this way. When in reality, we are all our own separate person. Mm-hmm. We have our own separate goals. We have our own separate things that we love that light our souls on fire. And and we should be able to take, instead of saying, the science says that when you're on your period, you can do X. When you're not on your period, you can do X. If you have menopause, you mm-hmm. can only lift heavy weights, you know, right? But rather taking those recommendations and saying, okay, this is what they're saying. The science is kind of saying, but how can I tweak that for yes. me? And that kind of sounds like that's the path that you're. Yes. You know, and the most headed. important thing, you know, if whoever listens to this and, and, and wants to kind of like grasp this particular moment, um, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, and, and it becomes very exhausting to hear out everything that everything out there has to say or what works, what doesn't work. 
And I keep fighting people and I keep saying it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So like you said, you have to grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that and try to find what actually works for you, which is the toughest yeah. part. Because in the meantime, you are going through moments where you can consider that you're failing. And it's not necessarily yeah. you're failing. It's just you're trying to figure out what works for you at the current moment. And mm-hmm. my journey this year will be about that. I'm hyper-focusing on one, maybe two races this year, like big ones. Yeah. Um, and, and see, okay, let me, let me, I already failed. I already tried some things and they didn't work a hundred percent. So let me try to make a mix and make it work for me. Um, yeah. but yeah. So what, um, what pieces are you taking into the 2024 year to kind of help with some of these changes that you're making? Can you share a little bit about that with that? With So us? for example, definitely I'm going, you mean like, Things that I'm doing related to yeah. also menopause. Okay, so strength training, your yes. your training program, your yes. nutrition, so, mindset. I don't care. <laughs> yes. So, well, the mindset, of course, it's the it's the hardest. Um, I think I I've, I've done a while in my life or, or a bit in my life to where I think I can gain control over my mind again. Um, mm-hmm. the the part that I'm struggling the most is the the weight gain. And like I told my personal trainer, I don't care about seeing that weight on the scale um, as much as to see the weight, but know that my body's still doing stuff. What it needs to do. So that year that I was having all these DNFs, I was frustrated because not only I had all those pounds, extra pounds, but mm-hmm. I was also failing. So I'm like, I don't care about the the weight, which is the part mm-hmm. that some people didn't understand. I care about knowing that I gained that weight, <laughs> but now I'm doing, you know, X and Z, Y and Z and can still accomplish what I've been doing. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on that, on a quest of trying to be happy with what I see in the mirror, mm-hmm. knowing that it's my body still accomplishing things. I yeah. had to start lifting weights because my body was not only gaining weight, but it was like losing I don't know if I should say it's shape and shape. Yep. Elasticity and you know, everything's changing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So in my case, it was dramatic. And I know some people don't go through that as dramatic as I've been going through. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really adopting the, the lifting weight um, stuff. Um, and this person has been amazing in terms of knowing and tweaking and helping me find out what also like when it comes to lifting weights, works also for me but also for what i do which is the cycling um mm-hmm. so we've been working for months now and i feel great in terms of you know the strength that my body can feel at the current moment um the training on the bike is the, the one that we're still trying to figure out because we're supposed to do less more intense but if i'm planning to do 500 mile races or 24 hour mile races there's moments where i still have to do longer days and the saddest part about it is that you hear you constantly hear people out there saying no you can't you have to shorten your rides you have to do lists and yes i'm not going to do seven days a week because it doesn't work for me but i need to do long (laughs) Mm -hmm. at least once a week so you know I'm, i'm i'm now trying to figure out the the cycling training wise what actually works and what doesn't work because also, my body is not recovering as it used to be, which is also hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember me sleeping every day, six hours, and that would be it. I was happy with my six hours, and I was very functional day after day after day. 
Now, if I don't sleep at least eight hours, I'm, I'm not going to even start. <laughs> don't <laughs> to talk tell to me. you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it just amazes me. It's just, it's, in a way, it's frustrating because you're like, oh my gosh, it's a real thing. Like, I really yeah. have to sleep eight, 10, you know, eight from eight to 10 hours for my body to feel a little bit better. And I have to take, you know, days off. Because otherwise, I will feel like super swollen and, and every muscle will hurt. So, yeah, yeah. I'm adding more on my sleep uh, hours. I'm doing a little bit less. So I'm taking two, three days off through the week. Um, still tweaking the, the cycling training wise. That one is still like. Yeah. Still, <laughs> still trying to figure that one out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I love how you're t- uh, tackling that though, because it sounds like you're really looking at, okay, again, like we talked about just a few minutes ago, he- here's technically what the science says, but that doesn't fully match my goals. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's how I want, here's what I want to achieve. What do I have to do in order to achieve that? And looking at it from all angles. And that's just such a well-rounded way to look at it and allows you hopefully to, you know, do kind of what it is that you're you know, trying to do. Um, so you said you're um, focusing on kind of two key races this year. What are they? If you can share. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, um, I attempted Leadville last year, mountain bike. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. And I, it was a monster. Like as of. Well, that's a beast of a. Yes. Day. And I, as of that day, I had never attempted anything like it mountain bike wise. Mm-hmm. And I finished and I said, I mean, I didn't finish. So I said, you know, this is way too big for me, whatever, you know, things you tell yourself after you get a DNF or whatever. And I said, there's no way I'm not attempting it. And then I found myself last year signing up for the lottery again, crossing fingers that they might not select me. <laughs> <laughs> and they did select me. And just yesterday, funny, because just yesterday I was like, how much focus on that one this year? Only that one, maybe that one and that's it. And just mm-hmm. try to, you know, finish that monster because I know that is a race that I will not probably do again once I finish it, mm-hmm. um, which again, who knows? Um, so I need to pay because if I don't pay, I will lose my spot. Then you're out. <laughs> <laughs> now I shorted it with you. So maybe I will have to pay. So I can, there you, you go. Know, it's out I'm in the universe, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other one that I was thinking, it's, it's funny because the other one I was thinking was um, Hoodoo 500. That's mm-hmm. a 500 mile race in Utah. And it's another beast on the road because there's a lot of climbing. And I finished that one and I finished very uncomfortable. My very first episode of Shermer's Neck, I got on that race. And I had to hold my head for about 60 miles because I was oh, not wow. going to throw 500 over 60 miles. And I held mm-hmm. my head. I had to obviously slow down. Um, and I barely made it. I made it with three minutes to spare. Um, and that was really scary. And I said, I don't need to do it again. I finished. I Whatever. But now I'm like, I need to probably go out there and do a better time on that race <laughs> yeah. and finish without feeling that un- that bad. So those are the two that I'm thinking about. The only problem that I have is that they're both on the same month. So well, that's would be gnarly. Coaches <laughs> might say, uh, "We don't think you should do that." <laughs> I know my little co- my little coach's brain went, "Oh, I don't know if I'd recommend that." But exactly. I'm also one of those. I, I'm also a coach who is. I'm I definitely 
allow and probably do crazy stuff with my athletes because I want them to feel like, mm-hmm. again, if this lights your soul on fire, exactly. we will do what we can to make it work. And you and maybe pick one that is better mm-hmm. than the other that we focus on, but we do the other yeah. like, I'm definitely, that's kind of how I roll as a coach. Yeah. Um, and I don't, again, and I don't think, so, so here's, here's what my, my thought process, I'm not this person that will kill it on one and then totally crush the opportunity on the other. Mm-hmm. I know me and I'm very disciplined and I know that I will give a little bit under my best, probably if I wanted to do mm-hmm. both. And I did that one time. I, my only half Ironman that I ever did, um, it was the same month of my 400 kilometer qualifier for PVP. And it was oh, the same okay. year that I was actually qualifying. And the coach back then said to me, I don't think you should do both. And I'm like, well, let's say I'm stubborn and I really want to do both. He's like, well, you will have to do one where you don't perform that well and that so you can do the other mm-hmm. one. So you can recover and do the other one. After that one, and I finished both. So I did my 400K and I did my half Ironman. And I don't think... I ever did anything like that after that. So yeah. now I'm thinking, well, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I can maybe try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's so cool though. I just love like so I, I said before, I love how you have these big crazy goals that are just we just need more people like this in the world that have <laughs> huge crazy goals that they strive for things that they like you said that you might fail at, but mm-hmm. that's part of it what do you prefer do you prefer mountain bike races or road bike i'm a roadie there's no denying that but i feel um i feel maybe because mountain bike is not my main sport i don't get as nervous Mm. on mountain bike races okay which that's why i started yeah so that's why i started doing it because i wanted to feel relax and transfer that to the road cycling Mm -hmm. races which actually helped Mm -hmm. but the problem is that then I wanted more and more and more and now I have you know been doing so much on the mountain bike that now I'm getting a little bit anxious and nervous with those yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) but I don't have a preference I think that I like both and they both have like different things that I love the you know the most about each other Mm -hmm. um and I think that they it's a great compliment I think that yeah one thing helps the other and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And the, cause they do, I mean, road biking requires skill and mountain biking is going to give you that skill. You're going to gain a lot of power from mountain biking. It's yeah. Gonna transfer. There's just so much that complements um, both of them. Um, Awesome. Well, we're getting close to our hour here and I don't want to keep you for mm-hmm. too long. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Like this is, you just have the coolest story. Like I've been so enthralled. <laughs> I keep it's saying so that I should cool. write a book. You should, hundred <laughs> percent. I need a ghostwriter uh, ghost you... though, because I don't like writing. <laughs> and if anybody wants to let transcribe or however that yep. works <laughs> for Maria, yep. amazing stories. It reminds me. I don't know how close you follow um, cycling, but I, like I said, I follow fairly close. And uh, Garrett Thomas, mm-hmm. just big cyclist. He recently came out with a book that's like. I think it's called like favorite rides with G or something. And huh. just all about his stories of like these amazing rides that he's gone on. You literally could write that same book, but like amazing <laughs> rides with Maria or something. <laughs> exactly. For for the common for the common mamas out there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh man. Um, so my last question to you is 
What is your biggest takeaway or the biggest thing that you've learned or biggest growth for yourself um, from kind of doing these ultra endurance sports? Like what have you learned the most about you? That one is easy. I think it's more how much you can handle as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my life has been like a mountain bike race. <laughs> yeah. A lot of up and downs. And mm-hmm. I think that it's just, it's, I've gained so much resilience over doing these events that, you know, when it comes to life and all the hardship in life, I just take a moment. I'm like, okay, you're going to do exactly the same. As you do when you're doing 500 miles. <laughs> yeah. So I think it all it's, correlates. It's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Awesome. All right. Uh, where can people follow along so that they can follow along with your amazing journey? Um, Instagram, I guess. Facebook. Um, yep. So Instagram, I changed it again. So it's MPVAZ3. Yep. Um, and it. then there you can link into my Facebook account. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. She's a great person to follow because I love how my favorite piece about you, one of my favorite pieces about you that's been following you is how like you're not afraid to say how you're feeling. Like if it sucks, you're not afraid to share that it sucks. Because like let's face it, when we do these hard endurancy type sports or just hard things or life in general, sometimes things they really do suck sometimes. And yeah sometimes we don't want to smile. I think you recently put something on about that. Like, I don't want to smile today, but here I am. I'm still smiling and we're going to do the thing because that's what we do. And I just, it's very refreshing and I love it. And I want to thank you for being that. Thank you. Because it's really great. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much, Marina, for sharing your story. Um, I look forward to the rest of the year following along. Hope everybody else enjoyed listening to her. Um, Again, we probably could have, I could have had you kept going for another half an hour or more, but I will honor everybody's time (laughs) and yours. So thank you so much for joining the podcast and yeah, have a wonderful 24. Thank you. You too.